Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the, I guess that's why they call it the Elton John podcast podcast. For this very special episode, I've trundled down the A1 from my Nottingham base to visit the top of the tree Elton John collector, an all-round excellent individual, Peter Thomas. <laughs> Hi, Neil. Hi, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted to do was to share with my listeners a very special experience, something we can't all get to do. Um a chance to meet someone who's been researching the more obscure side of Elton for decades and have a good old-fashioned listening session. And we're going to hear a bunch of tracks verging from the rare to the impossibly rare. These are recordings that your average Elton fan or super fan might have read about, but very few of us actually get to hear. I don't know exactly what Peter's got planned for us, but we're going to Listen, we'll discuss them, find out what we can about the background to the recordings, as well as the story of the acetates and the tapes that carry them through to us here, 50 years on in 2019. So, you, the listener, are very welcome to this listening session. You may want to picture the scene. We're in Peter's Lounge on a crisp spring day in deepest Bedfordshire. I've brought snacks. <laughs> And Peter's made us a cup of tea. I won't, I'll spare you the slurping noise. So make yourself comfortable. You're in for a real treat. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Neil. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. It's going to be a really good chance for people to hear what's out there and what it, what it means to love this music so much that you can spend a big portion of your life collecting it and researching it. Yes, it's a fantastic hobby to have, really, to explore Elton's music over so many decades. Yeah. I, I wondered first if you could talk about how you first got into Elton's music. What, when did you first become aware of him as a musician? Um, I was about 15, I think. Um, a girlfriend lent, lent me the Elton John album, mm. and I didn't like it. Didn't you? <laughs> I gave it her back. Oh. Which is pretty awful, isn't it, really, looking back? And, uh, and then about... Six months, or probably three or four months later, I, I had opportunity to hear it again and just loved it. And I think it's just that at that age, your music taste um, changes rapidly. What were you listening to, do you think, at that time? Um, oh, poppy stuff, really. Okay. I mean, I did like blues. Uh, I mean, I liked some sort of John Mayle stuff, but mm. I did like, as a young teenager, like sort of chart stuff as well. I, I A bit of both, really. But a lot of underground stuff. I, I mean, at that time, there were so many different genres of music that you couldn't admit to to liking if you know what i mean yeah. you know you either like progressive music but you couldn't be seen dead with a a single because that was popular music you know yeah and elton was very much at that time an underground artist a very cool person to like an album artist absolutely and i mean you you'd walk around school with one of his albums under your under your arm you know showing off that you knew this guy because it was cool to 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 like him yeah um and that's that sort of that wasn't what attracted me to him but certainly the music that's what I got into then did you go and see him live I didn't you know I mean I lived in in Ramsgate in Kent and uh, mm. it was seemed a long way to go to go and see him and he I mean I think he did play in Canterbury I think uh, did he uh, came to so. Chatham I think or Chatham maybe, years yeah. before that but no I don't know why I never I, I really didn't have a, a great feeling of going to see him I don't know why I mean I used to go to a place called Dreamland in Margate which mm. used to show lots of bands and I saw 
countless bands there but that was much more to do with it being a bit of a disco which had bands on in the interval it wasn't really going to see a band like it is now I mean, a very different time, I think, then, in terms of concerts. I mean, everyone they, think... They played for half an hour, didn't they? They played for half an hour, 40 minutes, in between a sort of a, a DJ, and, and you might have two or 300 people there. You know, it wasn't like thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. Because, you know, anybody under the age of about 23 didn't like this music. You know, you've got to remember, it's a very... At that time, it was very young people who liked pop and rock music. Mm. The rest of the generations hated it. So the number of people who liked it was small. Yeah. So, yeah, so that got me interested in Elton, and then I started sort of, and then it took off, really. Yeah. Of course Do you it. have a favourite album? I've never asked you this. It's really hard, that, isn't it? I think it is Madman, I think. I think Madman, oh, really? Yeah. I, I'm I, surprised. I, I oscillate between Madman and Tumbleweed. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, you it, and many other people, they really yeah, are both high watermarks, are. aren't they? Yeah, they're just superb. Uh, to me, I get lost in another world when I play that album. You know, it's... Uh, I mean, it's a cliche concept album, but they were. You, you were lost in another world when you sat down and listened mm. to them. Amazing so, that they managed to pull that out of somewhere, the Tumbleweed album, without really knowing what they were writing about. Only, no. only through storybooks, only yeah. through other yeah. media. Yeah. It's just their, their reflection of Fantastic it. Fantastic albums. And of course, once you started you know, buying those albums, and I started wanting to buy the singles that I'd missed, the early ones, It's Me That You Need, and mm. started trawling back through the catalogue. Um, and when did you get your Bluesology singles then? Did you get them fairly early? No, I probably middle middle 70s, mm. probably 77. Um, and of course, record collecting wasn't what it was then. They weren't, they weren't fetching hundreds of pounds. They were no. still expensive, but they weren't ridiculous. Um, and also, because you didn't have an internet, it was very difficult to track them down because there weren't that many copies floating around. No. Um, I think the first time I heard it was when I first... Probably when I first went to the BBC and I and I heard a copy there. So that's probably the first time I'd heard and seen a copy of it. Wasn't your first job, was it, at the BBC? No, no. I worked in uh, in Ramsgate as a... Uh, worked on transmitters and receivers. Oh, OK. Uh, sort of defence uh, equipment, but... Who I, did you work for? A company called Rakels. They, okay. they do a lot of defence stuff. I asked because my dad used to work at GEC. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was there for sort of four, four and a half years or so. Um, and I got interviewed when I was studying at Canterbury by the BBC. And then I joined them in the 77. Yeah. Had you been working on musical kit before that point? Yes. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a big hi-fi enthusiast, huge hi-fi enthusiast from sort of the late 60s, early 70s. Um, so, and I did a lot of repair work. I did repair work for shops. Mm. You know, sort of technically sort of interested. But I just like audio gear. I mean, I always have, you know, I've always had speakers lashed up in my house and yeah. old radiograms dissected on the floor and much to my parents' <laughs> horror, I'm sure. When you were a kid as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I had a few electric shocks off old valve radios and things. Yeah. But that's how you kind of learn, really, <laughs> what not to touch. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was a great time. I mean, I... And I, I think because I love the music as well as, as the actual way of it being reproduced, um, those two hobbies sort of, t those two interests came together, both for my work mm. and, and also for my interest in music. You were quite lucky, really, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I mean, I, was, I had my sort of life carved out pretty young, really, in terms of what I was interested in. I didn't have any doubts, really. No. I loved it. Um, so my, my grandfather gave me a wind-up gramophone when I was about seven. 
and that was it. I was just fascinated by the fact you could get sound off these discs. You yeah. take that apart. I did. Yeah, I did manage to get it back together though. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. t- tell me a bit about what your life was like at the BBC in the first days, and how you managed to carve out a role for yourself. You were uh, you were surrounded by some fairly fusty individuals, weren't you? Very. Um, Radio One was quite you know cool, but everywhere else was very sort of suits and ties very very you know um, engineering-y um, very old-fashioned yeah um, you gotta remember that most of the people recruited at the BBC that were still there being recruited around World War II um, and a lot of them were coming up for retirement simultaneously and I think that's the only way me and a lot of other long-haired layabouts as they call us <laughs> um, managed to get recruited because um, you know they, they desperately needed new engineers because a lot of them were retiring yeah so we, uh, so the, the, the scheme there was that you would join and you would work in all the different engineering departments, the looking after the studios that did drama, the studios that did news, and, uh, and most importantly for me, those that did music. Mm. And most of the music studios were at Maida Vale uh, in northwest London. Yeah. Um, did so you, I did, live, you lived around there at that time, did you? I, I lived in North East London at the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so you you do you sort of travel around working all these areas. And the great thing about the BBC was you had opportunity to do work. You know, you could apply and work wherever you wanted. And generally, if you were okay, you could get the job. Yeah. And eventually, I became the manager over a period of years of the outside studios, which included uh, Maida Vale. Um, and so I got very heavily involved with all the equipment um, for John Peel sessions and all those kind of Radio 1 sessions. But is that, we're talking about the mid-70s here. I'm we? talking about, yeah, well, late 70s, 77, 78 okay. to 80. And then I then I, I looked after them all the way through till I left in, the, in 1991. And now uh, you haven't stopped working in that area at all? No. Well, the BBC were, um, for the... Big radio. Yeah, you retired quite young from the BBC. You I did. I was thirty-five. You didn't, um, that's not called retiring, is it? No, no, that's that's <laughs> that's resigning. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the BBC they, they used to design their own speakers yeah. uh, for their own studios, but they didn't go loud enough for the Radio One guys doing the sessions. So they had to use commercial speakers that didn't really sound to the, the right standard that everywhere else was used to. Okay, and they knew that I was uh, interested in speaker design. Um, I, and I worked. I went down to research department to listen to speakers for the for the BBC designs. So they said, "Why don't you come up with something?" So over a period of about two years, I designed some speakers for Made of Vale Studios, and then they eventually decided they wanted to buy them. At that point, I was told that I had to resign because I wasn't allowed to be seen to be making a profit from working at the BBC. But they let you do that. Well, they let me design them in my spare time, not at the BBC's time. But then, to oh, I see. S- but then to sell them to the BBC, I had to resign. Well, if, if I'd sold the BBC, I couldn't have sold them to them okay, because yeah. I'd be seen as a. I'm surprised. Well, they made a mistake, didn't they? Because yeah, they, they, yeah. they should have held so, the the uh, the plans for themselves, yeah. and then they would have been doing yeah. a bit better, wouldn't so, they? Yeah. So I I resigned and set up PMC loudspeakers, and here we are, nearly thirty years later, uh, which is a great place to be. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've met Elton through my work, um, met a lot of, you know, well-known artists. And it's just a pleasure, really, to feel that I've improved, you know, what can be done in recording studios with the quality. That's what it's all been about for me, mm. both at home uh, and at work, is to get the best quality of reproduction, the most natural 
sound in the front room. What are your ears like these days? Um, I have them measured every year. Do and you? Sa- yeah. Do you? Oh, yeah. They're and a tool of the trade. They are. And sadly, as you <laughs> now I'm in my 60s, you watch them starting to go oh, at the high dear. frequency. Yeah. But then I don't design the speakers anymore. Now my son does. So. Oh, does he? Oh. Yeah. Okay. I, it's a family, I, bit of a family I, Imported younger ears than mine. Yeah. yeah. But it's amazing, actually, even though, you know, your, your hearing does deteriorate as you get older, you can still perceive quality. That doesn't change. No. You know, so so that's my big thing. And, and that's another big part of my collecting Alton, really, to, to almost preserve, if you like, those early recordings that are only really exist on acetates now and very, you know, poorly kept tapes. It's pretty grim out there. What used to be done on cassettes and then when we had cds it used to be done on cds now it's just all youtube isn't it there's a there's a a degradation that's going on yeah i mean not for you no not for me (laughs) but it's always been true but people are happy to put up with some pretty poor quality stuff they are i mean in general um you know 95 percent of the population are happy with low quality that's mm. why cassettes were popular in the 70s and 80s and now it's you know mp3 files or whatever that's yeah. always been the case it's always been quite a small percentage of the population that like good sound quality but the good thing about you know capturing originally the recordings in good quality is that future generations will enjoy them in that quality and that's what you know recording studios about they record at a far higher level of quality than you often hear in your home yeah but then they're Preserve for the future. I mean, I don't know if you've heard any of the Buddy Holly recordings from 57 that have been released, but they sound like they were recorded yesterday because yeah. they captured it perfectly back then. They couldn't have known they'd captured that then because they didn't have the gear to play it back through, to hear that, that quality. So if you throw ourselves, <laughs> 50, throw ourselves 50 years ahead now, people can be listening to recordings now, if they're well recorded, in much better quality than we can well, that's appreciate really now. interesting. So to point. me, it's an investment in the future, mm. you know. Um, and with Elton's rarities, with this uh, the music that's laid unreleased for this long, it isn't just about for you about hearing it in that quality, as you say. It's about making sure that it it's there for the yeah, next generation. I, I think it's preserving it. Yeah, because it'll get lost otherwise. I mean, you know, we were talking a while ago about the Beatles and saying how, you know, EMI really looked after their archive. Mm. They kept all the tape sessions and look, they're re-releasing all the Beatles albums now in surround in Dolby Atmos because they've got all those tapes. Yeah. Or, you know, they've recreated multi-tracks from the Sergeant Pepper's four tracks. They've done amazing work, but they couldn't have done that if they hadn't preserved the tapes. But they're probably the only label that have done that in the UK. Nearly all the other labels you know, have lost their tapes. Certainly a been, young label like DJM. They, no, they couldn't afford to keep them, And I no. suspect. And, and 100, 106 takes of not guilty. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever it was. <laughs> I just can't believe that so, they got that far down the line. But So, you know, and that's the, one of the big problems with early uh, Elton is that it, most of it only survives on fragments of tapes, um, a few acetates mm. um, that have been in the hands of collectors or friends or relations for the last, you know, four or five decades. So it is piecing those things back together now and trying to, you know, recreate that history of his music. Tell me about when you first came across one of those acetates then. Well, yeah, I, I um, there was an advert. I think it was an advert in Record Collector, actually, that I first found this person. They, there was a, a list of a, a, a acetates for sale and it mentioned they had some Elton. And I, I contacted this person. She turned out to be a cleaner who worked at DJM. 
uh, you know, DJM offices. Yeah. And she was, you know, when she cleaned out the bins, if she saw some acetates in there, she 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 uh, rescued them, shall we say. She and knew what she was them. doing then, didn't she? Yeah. And um, <laughs> the irony of it, she, I went to see her and she had about 10 acetates. Two of them were Elton, um, unreleased demos. And uh, three, I think, no, probably more, four or five of them were Beatles acetates, which I took no notice of at the time. I'm no. Just, yep, I was mad. And I just bought the Elton acetates because uh, that's what I'd gone there for. Got her, This is about 76, 7. Yeah. So I, you know, again, collecting wasn't like it is now, you know. I mean, they were I mean, rare. You liked your Beatles at the time. I though, did surely. like my Beatles, but I didn't know whether I wanted a scratchy old acetate of them. That's yeah. how I kind of remember Especially it. Especially as you wouldn't have known what it was particularly if you were. No, no. I mean, Do you know what it was? No, I can't remember, no. but I, I suspect there might have been demos, which would have been even more insane that I didn't buy them. But <laughs> hey, but I was so pleased getting the two Elton. That was, uh, that was an acetate of In the Morning mm. and Sarah's Coming Home. Yeah, um, and they've never seen any formal release, have they? No, no. And, uh, and what sort of year is that? Do you know when they are? They sixty nine, sixty eight, I think. Are they? I think they are. Um, I think from the music publishing side, they were sixty eight. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I mean that was my. I think that was the first time I'd found something really interesting that yeah. wasn't released, and that kind of spurred me on, really. I suppose to start looking because up until then I'd got all the releases. I bought them as they'd come out. Yeah. So there was nowhere else to go, really. If you know what I mean. And I had to go. I had to go backwards you know, free the empty sky to find other material. And as it was at that era, going forwards with Elton wasn't something you were hugely excited by. Um, by, by about single man, I suppose. I, I, I mean, for me, you see, I mean, this is, you'll probably wince at this, but for me, see, it all <laughs> changed at, at Honky Chateau. Because yeah, yeah, I've up, heard that before. Up to Honky Chateau, it was underground music. Mm. It was the cool you know, dark glasses dude at the piano kind of image and Mm. very sort of semi-progressive music. Mm. Honky Chateau is the first sort of popular music, if you like, version of Elton, really. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, some of us who were a bit older, (laughs) older, I was probably, anyway, I was 20, 20, you know, not (laughs) even 20, but yes, uh, you know, you felt that it was sort of sliding into very more popular music. But I mean, there was still enough... Tracks, I love Honky Chateau. So do I. Don't get me wrong. Three, I don't get me say. wrong. And I love Brilliant Honky album, Chateau. but I feel yeah. the change by the time Don't Shoot Me comes in. Yes, well, I, you know, it changed a lot. The the style changed, but that's fine. I mean, that, he was an artist and, yeah. was, you know, wanted to maintain his position in the charts. Um, but it did change from that point on. So to me, there's an early period up until Madman. Then you've got the Honky Chateau to sort of like Blue Moves period, mm. which I think's you know, some beautiful songs in there. Yes. Then you get Single Man, which is not bad. But then after that, it gets thinner. I it's think, very patchy. Me. Yeah. Not um, that there aren't some super songs. Oh, there are. You know, and there are still some you. great outtakes from later on that you think, why didn't you release this? You know. Yeah. Uh, Sweetheart, Sweetheart and Parade is the song that I cannot understand why that was not released. It's a beautiful song. But it, is it big? Because that he didn't see a way of writing it in from a male perspective. Maybe yes, maybe it, it works for me. But <sighs> I no. don't think that's a good enough reason. No, and it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So there are wonderful songs after sort of seventy eight nine, but that the golden period of the seventies really for me and the early seventies. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, isn't it great? Because everyone likes different aspects of Elton. I mean, there I are know, certain people that only swear by the eighties material. I know, so that's wonderful. You know, can't quite. 
No, but some but <laughs> get they do. behind their I, beliefs. I but yeah, you know. And I think I think with an artist that's lasted so long, it's just fantastic that it. You know, there are so many different ways of collecting. You have got people who just collect a collect all the picture sleeves of forty fives around the world, or mm. some people, as you say, collect periods of Elton, or some people collect. You know, coloured vinyls or weird. You know, some people are into every single gig that he goes and plays yeah, in the last two years or something hundreds like that. Hundreds and hundreds of concerts and people just re really wanting to hear every single thing that they possibly yeah. can. Whereas f for me, I, you know, I don't want to go into that level of detail in, with no, the new stuff. But, but it, then again, with the detail that I go into with the old well, stuff, well, that's the thing, isn't they it? They would it, probably think me completely insane. Yeah. So it depends what what you love, really. Yeah, you know, and uh, but I do think our interest are quite coherent with one another. So yeah. We do have a lot in common. It's almost like archaeology, isn't it, really? Because you're sort of digging through all these early recordings. Yeah. To, to sort of try and piece it all together. And, and you, I know also what I think is lovely is you see how uh, the style develops through the demos mm. and through each each month almost, you see Elton's style develop up into the, you know, the Elton John album, really. Where, yeah. Where and I think those early, those late 67 yeah. recordings... This is a question that I've asked myself. What what was he trying to sound like? What did he sound like? Like with Comeback Baby, which is 65, yeah. that sounds a bit like an R&B type, type ballad yeah. that you would hear in, in yeah. that era. But yeah. with the things that he was writing in late 67, especially well, some of the the recordings that, um, that don't circulate, it's not quite clear what he was up to, is it? No, well, I think there was a. a it's a very a, scattergun approach, wasn't it? It was. I think, like with all artists, I think before they they make it, there's a you know you're trying to earn money from it mm. and produce popular songs versus kind of what you like yourself. And yeah. I think that was the dilemma. I think that they were in in those early days was that you know what what the uh, music publisher wanted was different to what they wanted. And, so and, and I think they loved Motown music, didn't they? Yeah, or, or Elton did. Absolutely. And yeah. it, it, it's sitting there with a the piano. It's very hard to try to bring about that sound, isn't yeah. it, in your writing? You need yes. the, the team around you, which obviously he didn't have yeah. back at that time. Uh, the trouble is, is, you know, it's easy to judge these things from a different perspective now, isn't it? But you don't, you, you know, not being there at the time, you don't really know. No. Um, but, I mean, you know, we've got uh, some early stuff that Elton composed himself that we could probably yeah play. let's hear let's hear something what, what have um, you prepared for us probably we, we we ought to hear the witch's house because i think that's a fantastic lyric i mean <laughs> it really shows um that you know elton needed bernie i think yes it so, definitely does shall we play that <laughs> Witch's house stands on a hill Overlooking 30 acres of forest trees Everyone that goes there makes a wish And you can do what you please I love the witch's house I go there whenever I can Me and Margie Dickinson In my Great song, I think. I mean, very sixties. It's very woeful, isn't it? It's like, well, why? If you love it that much, why are you so sad about it, Elton? It's like, <laughs> cheer up. It's, it doesn't quite make sense. The lyric. I mean, when you think of um, some of the early David Bowie stuff, it's 
you know i mean that that's you know i think that it's the same period yeah you know it's exactly the same that's the kind yeah you know, that that style was around a lot in, yeah in that period so what's sort of uh anthony newley that kind of yes yeah, so a jolly happy music hall-y yes a bit of music hall background and he definitely did have that didn't he he certainly did what what uh, one thing you've got to say about these uh early Groucho recordings i think that's what Groucho. yes uh that's um the hollies um um music publishing don't they sound good i i like them yeah i think but the clarity of the oh the recordings are great quality yeah where were they cut do you know where they cut those acetates I don't know. I mean, I... Because I, we've discussed that these ones, that maybe they were cut in a different place to DJM. Where yeah, I, that, that I don't know whether or not they were recorded or cut at all at DJM, whether they cut at Regent Sound around the corner. Mm. I mean, Regent Sound was in Denmark Street, was literally, you know, a few yards away. Really. Yeah. So it could be there. Um, but my guess is that they most of them were done at DJM. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Um, but the there are some early... Um, early demos that have like scarecrow and we'll we'll hear a snippet of planes watching the planes later mm. that that have quite significant similar distortion on them and i don't it's not due, due to be it's not on the acetate is it it well it's on the acetate. it's on the acetate yeah. but it's not but because, it's not of... because it's been well they are a bit worn out because unfortunately people played them to death but, mm. but nevertheless it has a similar distortion on it which i think shows that the, they either had a problem a few days I mean, it's not normal distortion that you get. No. Um, it sounds like they might have had a problem in the studio. Um, so you can sort of group some of the demos by purely just by the sound quality almost. Mm. Um, and these very early ones, weirdly, some of the cleanest ones. Yes, it, it's strange. So, well, some of them, um, you know, some of them come from tape as well. So they, they haven't gone through the acetate process. Oh, right, okay. So there are a few floating around that are on tape which is quite oh, handy. Um, I'm sure there are even more locked away in vaults somewhere. <laughs> you get the sense that they are just like uh, some sort of time capsule just secreted in different places all across the world. No, there is, I think maybe be people believe that there's, oh, there's a collection of these things. They all live somewhere. They don't, do they? No, not at all. I mean, Elton has obviously, you know, most record um, labels have a, have their archive and yes. obviously all of Elton's albums and everything. And I'm sure, you know, they have a lot of this early material stored away, but you know, we don't have access to that. We, we aren't privy to that kind of material. Well, okay. We don't know. We don't really know how much is there, but, but from how they go about releasing the material, it was seemed that. Well, yes. I mean, it's protected. Uh, I mean, a lot of it, I don't think is wanted to be released. No. So but yeah, I mean, we don't really know. I mean, the, the wonderful thing about collecting Elton is, is the fact that you just don't know what the limits are because every year something comes out of the woodwork, you know, that you, you really wouldn't expect. Um, and probably, you know, the biggest one for me was the first album suddenly appearing on the market, which was the Regimental Sergeant Zippo album. Yes. Which was sort of legendary for me for about 30-odd, 35 years that they'd actually put one together um and that one had survived because you know um i mean the story goes steve brown basically listened to it and told them not to release it because it wasn't really what they you know ought to be doing no um which is strange i, I you're yeah. going to go on and talk about this but I, I, there's always something about that story that doesn't quite make sense i 
because it's told in the light you'd expect if you hadn't heard any of those songs, which we have yes. through the horrendous sounding yellow dog yeah. uh, boots and other boots over the years, you'd think that it was going to all be full of um, songs that they were writing to, to appease Dick James. Yes, I know. I know and and it's not at all. No, there there's is... a few. Turn yeah. to me is maybe quite straightforward in that way, but yeah. but mostly they're really ethereal and out there and strange and try hard. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, I, you know, if you look at all those early um, you know demos and and recordings that that you know I'm sure we've heard on various bootlegs, they fall into the two camps: the mm. the, the the poppy, you know crazy poppy stuff that yeah. just sounds like everyone else yeah and then and then the the other stuff that is is much more you know elton's style and bernie's style and much more psychedelic and um you know progressive um the only thing i'd say is that but even though there's a lot of progressive stuff on zippo they are copies if you listen i mean regimental sergeant zippo it's very it's obviously isn't it? you yeah. know a sergeant pepper and even all the backwards tape and all the phasing and everything i mean it, it, it is a you it's know, a pastiche it, it is and most of the tracks have that now that may be what steve brown was commenting on yeah if the like, comment had come out that, yeah but could it, you yes. write something that's a little bit more like hey listen to this leonard cohen release listen to bob yeah. and see what bob's actually doing yes so know. maybe that's what he was really saying I yeah think, but it's know. weird that that's never that's not the thing like be more authentic yes i think that's probably what he that that's that was the message i think he gave and and it was i suppose it was a good one because it then generated empty sky ultimately yeah i interrupted you you were going to talk about the actual acetate itself and yeah and how it comes to still live yes well um amazingly um Elton used to work in a, a, a shop called Musicland in Berwick Street mm. in uh, in London, just around the corner from Denmark Street. Um, and uh, he used to work uh, at Saturday mornings in there. And he worked with a guy called uh, Hamish McAlpine. And he gave him a copy of that album and a pile of other acetates, various um, rough mixes of Empty Sky. Mm. Um and said, you know, I have those, you know. And uh, he, he'd had them for 40-odd years, I suppose. He kept them. I think we, we've heard samples of a couple of those songs from that release when it was up on eBay for a matter of days. Yes. Um, and they're disgusting. Yeah. Well, thank goodness. LAUGHTER <laughs> Uh, yes, I, well, you know, one of the dilemmas, uh, you know, one of the dilemmas about collecting is if you want very rare stuff, you've got to pay a lot of money for it. Mm. And the dilemma for a record collector is, is that, you know, any collector wants to share their hobby with another person. But if you've invested thousands of pounds in something, you know, you these days it goes, you know, one copy goes out on the Internet. And everyone's got it, which is yeah. nice for everyone. It's nice for everyone. But but, but you've had to pay for it for everyone else to benefit. Yeah. So, and it, it really, I, personally, I think the, the values of records is stupid now. I mm. mean, when I started, it was like a pound was a lot of money. Yeah. And now it's crazy. And and it does put a lid on, on the sharing. And I do think it's a shame that because it, it makes people cautious about, you know, what they'll allow people to hear. But it's it's not just about you trying to protect your investment, say, or you trying to protect your position as having these yes. things. It's also 
there's an altruistic part of it as well. Because there if is. you leak these things, not leak, that's not the word, but if you let these things yeah. disappear out into the ether, yeah. they're not necessarily going to get the release that they deserve elsewhere no, down the line. No, they disappear on bootlegs ultimately. And yeah. then somebody else makes it's, some money out of something that's quite you know poor quality, doesn't represent the artist well, mm. and the artist isn't getting any money from it anyway. So all round, it, it, it feels... I mean, for me, I you know, if ever we wanted to release the whole lot, you know, you want to do it with the blessing of the record company and the artists, not yes, not through bootlegs. No, uh, that's be... definitely uh, you know, I think it's easy to get bitter about this and just yeah. to you know, you've shared on Facebook, I think, some pictures of some of your acetates before, sure. and and there's there are people that understand and people that get it and people that don't. No, no, I understand that. Well, you know, it, it it's just the way it is, really. Yeah. And um, if if we could try and get some of it released, that would be great. But I understand, you know, if that's not not expected. It feels like the window was there, wasn't it, at the fifty year mark for Zippo, and unfortunately, yeah. we didn't get any any action. Yeah. But then, you know, if 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 Elton John and his management, you know, don't want that stuff released, then that's fine, isn't it? I mean, it's their it's their copyright, their their music. Mm. Um, it, I mean, it's a, it's a shame for the collector. Yeah. But for the for the artist, I understand it's his choice, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be nice if we could release a lot of this stuff. One of my favourite songs from this era is um, "And the Clock Goes Round," but I don't know if you've prepared that one. No, but, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do that deliberately just to annoy you. No. I but these know. things on the Yellow Dog, they're quite gross. They are. I, I was going to show you the difference in quality of sort of like a a, a bootleg and and the version of um, Regimental Sergeant Zippo. Mm. And that's the track called Hourglass. Yeah, let's hear that. So shall we, shall yeah, we that play that? Interesting, I'm because gonna... you've gone through a process of cleaning these up and depopping them, and as such, we end up with some quite startling clarity. Yes. Yeah. I mean. If an acetate hasn't been played, then it's as, you know it's, it's often better than a vinyl record mm -hmm. um, because it's the direct cut disc basically. Yeah. The trouble is, in you can't play acetates very many times before you wear them, and the trouble is most acetates at this age now people have you know have played them over and over and worn them out. Um, so there are, to the point where you were annoyed that this acetate that had been sampled on eBay because it, it was just another playthrough that it it's didn't another play need. that didn't need. That, exactly that. Yeah. It, you know, each play is a deterioration. Mm. And especially if it's not played on good equipment as well. Yes. So so yes, I mean luckily it hadn't been played a lot and so its quality is maintained. But most estates are very badly scored and scratched and not just that distorted. So there's mm. a lot of work to be done to try and recover it. I mean, you know, even with all that you can't get rid of all the problems. Mm. Um, so so anyway, th this is a track called Hourglass. This is um, this is from the um, bootleg. I get a little bit lonely. Okay, was that was a vinyl bootleg, wasn't it? Yeah, when it f first came out. So it sounds a bit wobbly, doesn't it? And a yeah. bit sort of fuzzy. There's this and, swirliness. And swirliness. And the clock it. goes around really has that as yeah. well. It, it... 
Okay, so that that's it, the it, it makes you feel slightly woozy. It does. It's not very satisfying, <laughs> really. Um, but I mean, that was a good bootleg back then because a lot of different demos that had never seen the light of day. Mm. In fact, I've not seen a lot of those since, actually. I don't know where they went, the original tapes. No, really? Mm. All right, and then we'll play... This is from the Regimental Sergeant Zippo. So it sounds like a reasonable recording. Uh, by the way, I mean, I've not actually had this remastered or anything. It's, as You've it not was, EQ'd it or anything? No EQ or anything. This was my safety copy straight off the acetate. After a decent cleaning, after I After a good clean, Watch the burning glow Catching spiders in my head And then I let them go I'm not sure about the No thing. No, that, well, that's very 60s. Again, yeah, it, it is. You cut, You have to put it in its time, don't you? But it is, it is a great tune. Um, yeah. And to hear it like that, it's a, it suddenly becomes alive, doesn't it? it There's does. so much top end I know. that we've oh, never kind of, heard before. No, no. With a bit of EQ, it'll sound really good yeah you balance it out a little yeah, bit yeah yeah i mean it's a bit you know it was obviously a one-off acetate that was cut of the of the album well it's going to be i think it was originally going to be released on phillips that first album that's right did they turn it down or was it just purely because um, i think uh, uh, an old steve brown interview i think they i think they weren't interested that so that yeah because yeah, I, I, I believe so it yeah. would have already because Steve joined in September, yeah. didn't he? So it yes. would have already run its course by then. I think yeah. it was done by about June or June, July, July, Some, somewhere around then. I think yeah. certainly not August. You're probably better at that than me. With well, you can only work in from the <laughs> registration dates of the songs, and we yeah. know that they're not necessarily reliable because yeah. Yeah. things come and things go. Um, but before Steve, so we're this is very much pre-Steve. Yeah, um, there was still some fantastic tunes including the one that caleb says was his favorite from these sessions um oh what watching the plane yeah yeah i think that's my favorite song ironically my favorite isn't the version that's on regimental sergeant zippo there's more than one version there is yeah i, I about ooh, probably 10 years before i managed to locate seven acetates off an ex-girlfriend of bernie torpin um and these have been sat in the cupboard for a long time and amongst those was a demo of watching the planes which i find because of the song it's more more like elton actually because it hasn't had the sort of 60s production yeah put on it uh, so we can play a bit of each of those shall we yeah let's hear a bit of each of them so if, very we, interesting. if we play the, the the finished version off of regimental sergeant zippo <laughs> Thank you. 
in the sky There's a speck that's flying by Red lights and I don't know why Seems that I spend most of my time Watching the planes go by oh, It's a great song, isn't it? it yeah, but it's it's been a bit sixties produced. Now yeah. this is the demo coming up, and for me, it's much more delicate. Look up in the sky, there's a speck that's flying by. Red lights, and I don't know why. I spend most of my time watching the planes go by. The windows open, the curtains blow. Round my room where the lights are low, I stand in darkness and watch the stars. Wondering just how far you are from me Up in the north It's a super song, isn't it? There's an extra bit there, isn't there? there there's yes. a section that's, that didn't yeah. make it into the yeah. recorded version. It is a super song. It's, Hearing yeah. Elton just doing a demo yes. with with just him and Caleb is very unusual. Yeah. There aren't many of those around, no, are there? No, it's lovely. Uh, that song always reminds me of Alan McCormick. I don't know if you remember Alan. He, he ran the rap, Rapper Up uh, um, online shop. Before my time. Yeah, uh, he's a lovely guy. And that always reminds me of him because we both went up to this little village in uh, Lincoln to pick up those records. He lived around there, didn't he? He lived around there. And uh, that was his favourite song. And uh, that always reminds me of Alan. So that's that's one for Alan for me. He was a lovely guy. But yeah, a lovely song, that. I mean, one of the best, I think, of that album. And yet it never got booted. No, no. Really odd. I know. The other one, another one off, um, off uh, Sergeant Zeppo is Tartan Coloured Lady. Now, I know everyone knows Tartan Coloured Lady because it's been out there on bootlegs for quite a and long time. And quite good quality for once. Not bad quality, yeah. Um, and there are actually two different mixes of it. Because um, there's two versions on the Yellow Dogs. But yeah. I have never, they're different running times. I, I think, well, maybe they're different mixes, but I can't hear any difference. Yeah, I've not, um, I've not I I haven't listened to those for so long, I can't remember. But I'm going to play you these two versions and you can you can play Spot the Difference. Is right, it, is that, it, is it subtle? Uh, I don't, well, no, I think it's, I think it's fairly obvious. <laughs> different, but uh, let me just cue up that track, see what you think. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Dying Everybody Dreams of deeds of crime And the tartan-colored lady walks Behind the watercolors Of my mind And the tartan-colored lady She is mine 
speak of willow trees and autumn. Good Lord. It's pretty obvious what the difference is. Maybe we'll let listeners hear the other uh, version. One, two, three, four. Yes, there's the violins. (laughs) Quite a significant difference. But to be able to hear in the other version, I think there's two harpsichord parts there. I'm not. Yes, I think there is. It does sound like it's been overdubbed, actually. I don't think. I I think that's more fingers than anyone's got in reality. And then the level of interplay between Caleb's guitar and Elton's. Harpsichord is yeah. unreal, isn't it? Yeah. Now the violin version is off Regimental Sergeant Zippo. Yeah, this is the one they went with. Yeah, but I quite like the first one. Yeah, as well. I, I'd say I kind of prefer it. Yeah, but this is a kind of a bit on the syrupy side, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. unsubtle. Yes, it is. Yeah. So now we can start to see what what a a released version of Zippo would look like. Yeah, you could do the full version. You could put the demos with it, different I, mixes. And then you've got that huge number of tunes that came before that, that you know, so the, the demos that didn't make it onto the album, what, <laughs> which were expanded recently. We learned a bit more about some of these when Bernie's lyrics went up, didn't we? Yeah, oh, that was fantastic, wasn't it? Wasn't what that? an incredible opportunity what a, for what everyone. One, yes. So for some of us, some of us, I say, not me, but for some people, that's an opportunity <laughs> to expand their collections yes. and to, well, yeah. and, and so on. But, for me, I get to see them. I get to analyse them. That's the lovely thing. So you could download good scans of Not them. Not bad off, scans. So you could actually see them. No, they were great, weren't they? And you could see the work in progress. You could see how the lyrics have been slightly modified so they scan properly. Yeah, you could see the yeah. job that Elton did. And this yeah. is... You listened to that episode of mine that I, I, did, I put together. Yeah. Superb, yeah. And you know that I uh, had a crack at one of them, didn't I? You did. I was yes. quite game. Yes. And I was smiling when I listened to that. <laughs> Because I actually had the acetate of that <laughs> song. <laughs> and I That's thought, wow, a... it was pretty close. Was <laughs> it? Yeah. Yeah, well, we can play a bit. I, really? I, I kind of just, yeah, I made this assumption. I looked at it, the chords. I looked at the, the the number of syllables. And I thought, this looks like Gulliver in the chorus. It did, it's very similar, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a bit of a work in progress. I mean, it, it, it's the only acetate I've ever come across of it, and it's in two two halves. It, it goes over two sides of the acetate, wow. and, it, and it doesn't feel like the same session almost. I, it probably is, but mm. it's a bit it's a bit of a mixed word. When so you what, add it up together, how long is it? Do you reckon? It's about five five and five just over five minutes, I think. Yeah, and an acetate couldn't take an awful lot, then, could it? No, three minutes, three three or four minutes back then mm. in mono because the, the grooves were a bit bigger for mono. So, yeah, um, so we ought to try and find that. This is slow fade to blue. Uh, I can't find it. Oh, there we go. She stands in shadows. Shadows I walk into. Your skin's like the velvet. Simple reflection of you and you know it's true baby no 
His version is a little bit better than mine, particularly the... I, could, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> <laughs> but what he does at the end, it's interesting. Because, you know, I write the odd song and I yeah. obviously put some of my songwriting beliefs and thoughts into what I did there. And it just shows that little sparkle that he's got there. Yeah. Just that little bit, that last, the, the, where yeah. he sings the, the slow yes. fade to blue bit. Mine is dull. His has just a, a strangeness to it, yeah. which he was able to bring at that time uh, you know I, all that playing with bluesology live and all that experience and all those sessions and all those studio sessions at djm you know really honed his voice and then you know the the, the bends and in, in his vocal delivery are just wonderful you know? yeah and you hear all those elements which haven't all quite come together yet there's, no. bit, there's bits of them showing up in these songs yes and uh, and you can see how how it develops over these two two years, really. His voice was an incredible instrument, wasn't it? Was, it was, yeah. Which is ama- all the more amazing with that that BBC panel who uh, <laughs> who uh, when he tested for a BBC session and said he had a thin, piercing voice, which is that's, <laughs> that's t- what I love t- about it. Typical I, about the BBC. They, uh, the um, the uh, there was a Bowie documentary again recently, yeah. wasn't there? Where the 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 first five years or whatever they called it. Yeah. Um, and they showed the, his uh, comment sheet from the panel, and it was brutal. Yeah. I mean, they didn't just like di- they didn't just dislike his voice no. and the music. They hated him. Yes, they really hated him. Yeah, yeah. These people they weren't had... on the lookout for the likes of Elton and David, were they? Not really. No. No. <laughs> I, I think it was probably a badge of honour if they hated them. That usually <laughs> meant they were, they were going to go on to greater things. Yeah. I think. Anybody who's hated that much, obviously, was going to be a success because uh, that's certainly true of Elton and, and Bowie, but I think it's true of a lot of artists. Yeah, they? they they definitely weren't the cool guard, were they? They were the no. old guard. No. Um, so so he, he, he failed his audition. He failed it. You've yeah. done quite a lot of research into the BBC sessions. Yeah. Unfortunately, the BBC's policy at the time was to erase a lot of tape. Mm. So we lost pretty well all the Elton session. When I joined the BBC, there was very little left in the in the library. Um, most of it had gone, along with nearly every other in in concert and uh, sessions for various DJs. Um, luckily, because I was working there, I had access to you know records and information. Got to know some of the studio managers. Studio managers, the BBC call are the engineers who operate the the desk. Mm-hmm. And over a few years, managed to piece together, you know, several of those sessions um, from copies that they'd taken home, um, Ill- illegally, of course. But yes. thankfully, they had because otherwise, we wouldn't have them. And there's lots that we don't have, all the same. And there are still, still. You there, never know, do you? There are lots we haven't got, but you never know what's out there and who's got them. You know, yeah. I mean, this is going back to this collector thing. You know, where a lot of collectors, um, you know. It, don't really want to share a lot of this stuff because it will just become a bootleg at some point. Yeah. Um, so there may be other sessions out there. Um, but, you know, the, the quality of them is, is reasonable. I mean, they vary depending on, on which session it Invariably, is. Invariably, they come direct from the tape, though, don't they? Yeah. So they're the best copy you're going to get. Yeah. Um, that you, you helped out the BBC. 
Yeah, there was an Elton at the Bee program in 85. Mm. Um, and uh, because I was known to have found a lot of these sessions, so it was going to be a bit difficult for the Bee to do the program because a lot of the sessions <laughs> didn't exist anymore. So. Although, if you'd have wanted Mantovani... Oh, yes, they, they had the whole library full of Mantovani <laughs> and, and Joe Loss, I'm sure. But you've, got, you've got to remember at the time, a lot of the decision-making, what, what was kept in the library was was made by people who weren't really into pop and rock music, and they also saw it as a, a very, very short-lived um, you know, piece of music. They didn't think anybody would want to listen to it in five years' time, let alone in 45 years' time. No. So they erased a lot of it, and unfortunately the age group of the people making those decisions meant that an awful lot of dross was kept. Um, yeah, like your Sunday evening brass bands. Yeah, I mean, it happened with, it happened in TV as well. I yeah. mean, you know, all the top of the popses in the late 60s and early 70s were wiped, and most of the copies you see now have been recovered from, you know, ZDF in Germany and various other broadcasters who were sent a copy. And we do have that as well for some of these sessions, don't we? Because there yeah. are transcription discs that There are. That, that's a really handy. That's preserved quite a few of them. I mean, the earliest session that we have really is um, from 68. No, it's from 69, which is uh, Lady Samantha and Sales. Mm. But they only exist because they edited those two tracks from a session that had more tracks for the transcription disc. So th these are fairly well known to Elton collectors aren't they those two recordings they are the 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 problem with most of those ones that were put onto transcription discs was the fact that they overdubbed them with brian matthew and that's what confuses a lot of people because everyone thinks they were for a brian matthew session but they weren't they mm. were th these were all radio one sessions that were then re-edited and they got brian matthew to come in and have a voiceover and introduce them mm. so they would edit out the tracks they wanted and produce a whole vinyl album of various artists um so the, the key is really finding the originals where brian matthew isn't talking over it nothing against brian matthew no not at all fantastic <laughs> guy and everything but if you want if you want to hear the track uh, fully um you know so luckily i, I did manage to track down lady samantha from uh, one of the original engineers who recorded it mm. so we have that complete without uh, can we have a listen to some of the yeah art? sure um, I could give you a ex quick example, actually, of, of Brian Matthew and with or without Brian Matthew. Yeah, let's do like. it with, with Brian Sh then. Shall we do let's... that? Uh, let me just find that. Uh... Last one today from Elton John. Shut up, Brian. Another of his own songs called Lady Samantha. When the shrew winds are screaming. So that's Brian Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, of course, on vinyl is that they were cut at quite low level and they used to cut the bass on them so they they don't sound as good. So On the transcription disc. On the disc. transcription disc. So now you're going to hear the direct one from the tape. When the shrew winds are screaming yeah, That sounds much more like a proper recording Lady Samantha Flies over the hills See, now you, you could mistake that for a different version Yeah, but it's not It's just a really good recording Whereas yeah. the other one is thin sounding Yeah, 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 yeah It just hasn't got the balls that it's got Lady Samantha flies like a tiger 
Yeah, really, really tight. That's Tony Murray on bass, isn't it? Rather than D. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't, don't think it's it. D. Really and then Roger. Yeah, Sounded Roger Pope on. Unbelievably yeah. good. Yeah, I used to love his drum style. Really good. But yeah, I mean, you know, they, they were a very tight-knit band, weren't they? Even then. Mm. Sounded good. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the other thing you see with the BBC Sessions is that they would come in and just lay those tracks. I mean... You've got to remember that the, the BBC had a very short time to record those tracks. Uh, you know, they, they'd, they'd have to record three or four tracks in a few hours. When, when you think most bands were spending three or four months <laughs> yeah. producing three or four tracks. That's why the Beatles didn't come in anymore. Well, there's that, yeah. And, of course, the Musicians' Union did us a favour in the way that they made the BBC do a lot of in-concert sessions because of needle time if you played over they had they set a maximum limit of records mm. you could play um and then they forced the bbc more or less into doing lots of live recordings which is wonderful um but the bad thing was was that of course it was very difficult to replicate the sound in a in a studio that they'd taken three months to record an album in a few hours at the bbc yeah so there used to be a few tape swaps go on <laughs> yes so they would bring in and what's interesting i don't know if you notice on the elton john album they um the deluxe version they added some bbc sessions to there including your song including your song now the your song is a classic example of that that isn't a session added to that session but isn't a session mm. it's the it's the your song single but with all the strings removed yeah so it's just the piano drums uh you know and which is quite nice yeah and it's a nice version of it but that's what used to go on it would be purported to be a live one yeah but actually and they'd speed it up ever so slightly they, they, they would do, do little yeah. tricks here and yeah. there so they're quite but this carried on well into oh, the 80s the, didn't this it this went well yeah pretty well definitely through the 70s so quite common yeah um, but it was great because all these live sessions did go on. And, and the musicians got paid. Yeah. And of course, that's the only one where they used a, 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 a rough mix of a track as a live session for Elton because the, the Your Song single had just come out. So they wanted to promote it. Mm, um, but they And they didn't. added it to the session late. And, and but really, all the other tracks, you know, they sound great live. There's yeah. some really interesting ones, isn't there? There are. I mean, you, you want to try some of those? Yeah, let's hear something that typically doesn't circulate um outside the moon probably um is quite a nice one uh that was done for uh bob harris i think uh let me just find that for you yeah bad side the moon uh yes recorded in august 1970 for bob harris okay um that's quite a nice version is this off tape as well this is off tape yeah 
Beautiful, that, right? that is. So it was recorded in August, would you say? Yeah, August 70. So just before Troubadour. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. They were just rehearsed they were just, beyond they were. beyond any level of I mean, rehearsal. That that sounds like, you know, a stage full of people. I mean it's got the power and the drive and But you know. piano wise, Elton is just yeah. completely demented there. Yeah. That that weird triplet thing yeah, that he great, does. Isn't it? Yeah. He's moved everything <laughs> up a, yeah. a, a, a an inversion like in the verse. Everything just sounds that much more vital, doesn't it? It's a beautiful version. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a good session. To be honest, that Bob Harris session was really good. What else did they do Uh, that day? They did My Father's Gun, Border Song, and Pilot. Um, But My Father's Gun's a nice version. This day on, I own my father's gun. We dug his shallow grave beneath the sun. He laid his broken body down below the southern line. It wouldn't do to bury him. Way more swing than the version on 1711 when it did get released. Very nice. That's a nice version. Yeah, it just seems much more. I can't. You feel like you're you're on the boat with that one, don't you? It sort of sways. It is. It sways from side to side. (laughs) Yeah, that feels like the peak of those live sessions. I think. I've. Recently, I've been listening a lot, um, thinking about an episode to the different shows in the second tour. Because we don't have, we do have that, which is really interesting. But we don't have any recordings of the band in the Troubadour in that first visit, do we? There's a very There's small that video, isn't there? There's a very small video of him singing uh, 60, "60 Years, years on. on." That's the only the bit I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, I. I mean, there are recordings around that time, but not on that. They're mostly uh, October, November, aren't yeah, they? And, and it seems to me, from what I can work out, that comparing some of the shows that have survived, like the Swing Auditorium yeah. and Anaheim, yeah, yeah, Anaheim's with good. the seventeen eleven seventy one, they were just on fire on that yeah. night, weren't yeah. they? They yeah. his oh. piano playing was just in a different league. Yeah, blew everybody off. I mean, they're just amazing. Yeah, the performance there was... They, they, well, they, they just played so much, I think, you know? And yeah, the, yeah. I mean, it's quite clear at this point. <laughs> We've got a cat messing with our wires. Yeah, clear that's off, a, cat. 
Do a lie outside soldier. Yeah. Love that yeah. cat needed love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't get any. No, but got some from me. I'm very cat focused. I'm going to have some snacks. Uh, excellent. Why not? Yeah. What what we got coming up next? Well, um, we could. Well, we all, we we jumped a little bit, I suppose. I know. We went to the because we, we went to the BBC sessions. We sort of bypassed the whole empty sky. We we jumped from pre-empty sky to post-empty sky. So, which is weird because we, we ordered. Sorry, I'd say that empty sky is probably yeah nearly my favourite album. Right. Okay. I can't be many. Oh, there aren't many people like me out there. It's either number one or number two. Yeah, yeah. Maybe and number I, three. I, I, it depends I, on the day, but it's right up. Well, there. I think that's the trouble. Isn't it? I, it, it, you keep change. You, you change. I think depending on you know how many times you listen to it. And, and various periods in your life you change I yeah think, as well yeah i remember yeah. the first time i heard it i bought it on cassette we were coming back from london we were driving back from london i bought yeah. it in hmv i bought that and i bought caribou on the same day Did you? Yeah. yeah and and i remember being really puzzled by the title track just it doesn't <laughs> sound like anything elton ever did no no it doesn't does it it is quite different well it i, I mean for me i always found it sounded very different all round, really. I mean, I I think I'd got the Elton John album and Tumbleweed because I bought them pretty well, pretty well almost at the same time, mm. I think. And then bought Empty Sky and thought, ooh, that's different. It yeah. did seem very different to me. What, what's interesting as you get older is the style, what your memory of style change compresses. I suppose because you're aware of music over a longer period. Mm. But the, the jump from Empty Sky to Tumbleweed and Elton John, although you can hear it now, seemed like f at, at five million miles yeah. the, at that time. And of course, music, popular music was changing very rapidly as well at that time. You know, anything that was recorded a, you know, a few months ago sounded old fashioned, you know, uh, almost immediately. Mm. So I think that that's what you kind of... That's what you don't appreciate as you get older. I don't think that the, the stretch of the stretch of time seems to affect your perception of how different they were. But now, yeah, I mean, I don't see it so big a difference. No, which is weird, isn't it? And I think the demos, the demos of Empty Sky, sound more like Elton now than the finished ones, if you yeah. know what I mean, because they've got that rawness to them. There's not many though, is there? It no. feels like they kind of just went in and did it rather than yeah. the process through 1969 when he was working on the Elton John album yeah. Yeah. was very much like, let's get in the studio and get that down. I, I've not come across many. I mean, two or three. What have we got? Um, well, I've got All Across the Havens. The Sister of Sunlight to my lonely life Bearing the crosses I hung on my lonely wife And the anchor told me If I prayed by the river That the sweet sound of water Would always go with her All across the havens They told me I would meet a van inside those icy walls. But how on earth in this universe can they forgive me of my pain? 
ravens I must stumble Oh, I love that song. It's a lovely song. It sounds delightful. Yeah. Well, I say that's that's off an acetate. It's still got a few... It's in quite bad repair. A lot of mould and buckled. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. What do you do with a buckled acetate? There's not a lot you can do, really. No, you need to play it with a pickup that can sort of do gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that sounds lovely. I have yeah. to say that sounds Thank great. Yeah. There's not there's not going to be much on our 50th anniversary version of Empty Sky that doesn't exist, is there? No, no. <laughs> Sadly, I haven't seen one yet. <laughs> no, it doesn't exist, and I'm not sure it is going to exist. No, no, a bit of a wasted moment, I think. That could have been quite a night. Because the, the thing about the Empty Sky thing is you could wrap all the other, you know, the singles around it. Yep. There are demos of the singles. Are there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can play you one of those if you like. Um, but, you know, so, so you could wrap quite a, a nice package around Empty Sky. I mean, yes, there isn't a lot, but you know, you could pull the BBC sessions, uh, put the put the sales and Lady mm. Samantha on it in that quality. In that quality, I mean, they're you know. like completely different yeah. songs. So you could you could make it a sort of uh, quite an interesting. And then you've got the lyric sheet yeah. sheaths. Yeah, absolutely. You could pull. Stick them in a book. Yeah, yeah. Um, and got the sheet music of the singles. You could put those in. I'd love to have a copy of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all those sort of things. It would be really nice, wouldn't it? And you could even have your bonus disc of modern artists. No, not modern artists covering the songs like uh, Goodbye Liberty Road. But you yeah, could actually yeah. have some of those sure. back in the day covers. The Roy yeah. Everett. Yeah, you could have the old cover version. Empty Sky. It, yeah. That. Yeah, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? It would be amazing. That yeah. would be a package. That'd be good fun. But, but, um, but I mean, you know, even though the 50th anniversary you know, disappears this year, that doesn't mean it, it can't be done. I mean, look at Paul McCartney. He's releasing all of his early albums, not in chronological order, just as the Humdinger special sets. Yeah, you know, and not, they are quite something, aren't they? They are. Beautiful books yeah. and inserts. Photographs. And yeah, reproduction tickets and all sorts of stuff, you know, and outtakes and demos, rough mixes. Oh, there's a few. I've got some acetates of rough mixes of Empty Sky. Yeah, yeah which, of course, they can't do now because I don't think they've got the four track anymore. I think it's gone. What? The... The original four track. Oh, is it? I don't believe so. Oh, how I sad. Think, I think it's We've got that gone. mono mix though, haven't we? We've got the mono mix you could put on it. Yeah, and the mono mix is quite different. It is. There, there's a good example different. of when you collect Elton, you should never say never. You didn't think it existed? No, for 20 years, people kept telling me it was a mono. I was going, no. No, they used to put them in mono sleeves, which they did. Yeah. But they were all stereo. And I, I believed that for 20 years. And then suddenly somebody said, right, I'm going to proved to you there is one and showed it me and I, I i was totally totally surprised at that so yeah never never say something doesn't exist in my book in collecting <laughs> somewhere there is one um and it's a nice nice version actually the mono i i like it it's yeah. uh, especially sing songs like uh western ford gateway yes which in the stereo's got this stereo yep. guitar which is quite ugly yeah in the mono they've tamed yeah, it, it a little well. bit and it just sounds a little bit cooler yeah to me um how about a demo of here's to the next time oh yeah that sounds good yeah um because that's i mean it's associated with it yeah it's, around that it's a bit time. earlier it's a bit but earlier. it's a great tune we, we can cheat a little bit can't we <laughs> um so try and cue that one up
nice bit of double track vocal on it, which is quite nice. delicate version, isn't it? Have you gone before? And how many times? Yeah, so I mean, that's a... I think that's a bit of a stretch. Yes, I know, it's 68. <laughs> but there are a few demos. We've got Lady What's Tomorrow, that circulates. Yeah, yeah, we've got that. You've got a decent version you've of that, have got quality you? of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Better than the one that's around, which is quite grim. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you've said that you've got some mixes of the song Empty Sky that are yeah. a bit different. Yeah, they've got different overdubs, you know. Okay. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. things missing. They're just work in progress, acetates, really. In fact, there's one, it's a 33 and a third RPM, 7-inch, so they can get the whole of the Empty Sky song on it. All right, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine that was yeah. necessary. It's a long yeah. tune, isn't it? Yeah. And Gulliver, there's a rough mix of Gulliver as well. Without the ending obviously so it ends yes, yes naturally it just, it just as a song yeah so there's a few things there that are you know and the thing is is that's what i've got i mean i'm sure that you yeah. know other people have got other things as well so yeah it could, could make quite an interesting uh a release with all those bits and bobs so what you're saying is don't give up yet no no there's some there's somebody somewhere out there that's got some more stuff stashed away you never mm. know by the time the second album comes around, that there will be, there has to be we, we, some kind of... It's got to be an Elton John album, uh, special edition. I'm sure that know, that's already being discussed. There's miles that could go in there. I reckon, yeah. I reckon you could do a 10 CD set for that <laughs> and, and about three DVDs. Well, you think about it, uh, the BBC, uh, you know, Sounds for Saturday and all those kind of series... You know, they played the whole, pretty well, the whole Elton album live. Mm. Mm. Uh, even the Raw Festival Hall, although that was 72, that's got a lot of tracks with the whole symphony orchestra off. Very interesting to hear that, yeah. You know, in decent and, quality. And then you've got all the, you know, peripheral, you know, all the singles that surround you know, the Elton John album that didn't make it. Um, I mean, the trouble is, it's very difficult to split Tumbleweed and Elton John album, really, because when they were rehearsing and when they were producing the demos, they're all kind of, you know, they were just one big pool of all these songs and they were they were kind of split out into the Elton John album and Tumbleweed. But, yeah, they uh, were taking the band and the folky songs, yeah. weren't they, forward? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's, there's masses of them. And then there's all the Olympic rehearsals. Yes. They went to Olympic and rehearsed all these um, and recorded them on 8-track. Um, and there's a good story there about the eight tracks because when Olympic closed, they wrote to all the management of all the artists to say, we've got this tape library here. Um, and, you know, if you don't collect them by a certain time, they're being skipped. And like typically in the record industry, they got very few replies. So a giant skip was put outside mm. Olympic and all these one inch eight track masters were thrown into a skip. Uh. Luckily, um, <laughs> enterprising <laughs> engineers and passers-by rescued quite a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and I remember going to Christie's 
about a couple of months later. When is this roughly, do you reckon? When? When did yeah? When oh, did it? Close? Yeah, I, I was trying to find the Christie's catalogue. I think it was around. It was early eighties, mm. um, maybe eighty three to somewhere around there. And um, and I went to Christie's and they were auctioning five reels of of Elton's, um, all the rehearsals for the Elton John and Tumbleweed tracks. Um, there were about four reels of Jimi Hendrix. Mm. Um, I think there was some Who. I can't remember. But I know there was like four or five big names, but they were all rehearsals, and it's they vandalism, isn't it? It was such a shame. <laughs> well, what a shame they weren't, you know, kept by the, you know, the record company. But hey. so I bid what I regard as an extortionate amount of money back then, which by <laughs> today's standards sounds puny, um, and I didn't get them, and they've never surfaced since. What does surface are the are copies of cassettes that were available to listen to when you went into Christie's to, to hear what was on the tapes. Usually in an auction house, they are, if they are a format that nobody can play, like a one-inch, one most people can't play a one-inch tape, yeah. they've got a rough mix of them onto a cassette or a, well now onto a, a file or a CD, but back then it was onto a cassette because most people had cassette machines. Um, and I think those are where the bootlegs of some of the tracks have come from. And this just dissipates the power of the actual... Yeah, it's a shame because they are really, really excellent um, sessions. I what mean, was the thinking behind these sessions then? It's Steve Brown was at the desk, wasn't he? I don't think, I don't know. I, I, I think it's just the, yeah, I really don't know who's in the studio. Mm. But they really were rehearsals. They, I mean, the demos were done. So it was September-ish, I mean, 69, is that sort of yeah, frame? Yeah, it would have been 69. Uh, the demos were done, a lot of them were done at Trident. Yeah. Because you've got the piano demos and then you've got the band rehearsals. Yeah, and which we've got... never really got to hear. No. And then I think, the... is the, the well-known gun song... Um, yeah, that's Olympic. That's Olympic. The, the, one the that fast was... one. Yeah. Yeah, the, the sort of... Chuggy. The, yeah, the chuggy one. Un, unexciting. It's not great, is it? No, it's not my favourite. No. It's a bit a bit too yee-haw. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then there's, I think also on the Elton John Deluxe, there's a rock and roll Madonna that I think comes from those sessions. There is, I think. Yeah. Yes. So they've quite... obviously got this tape. Who? Well, Elton, I don't yeah. think so. I mean, I think those were the only tapes, that, those ones at Olympic, they were it, I think. And they've all got, they went into the skip. So how, but what I'm saying and is they, they turned up on the deluxe editions, though, those two tracks. Ah, yes, but there are two, ah, yes, so that, but there are two track mix downs from those eight tracks. That oh, exist as oh well. I see, I see, sorry. Not, not, not all of them, not, certainly not all of them, but there are some that were mixed down from eight to two tracks. Okay. And those tapes, obviously, well, obviously Elton has those in his in the music library. Obviously, obviously they wouldn't have existed. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so whoever's the, got these Olympics. eight tracks. But I mean, like I've I've got a couple of acetates of those Olympic sessions, but presume they cut them for the band and handed them out. So they don't don't sound as appalling as some of these tapes that. No, they're about. better. But of course, as always, somebody's played the acetate to death. <laughs> so you know they're not in the best condition. But I can play you some some bits from. Yeah, what should we hear? Um, well. I, I, first of all, I, I think what you probably might like to hear is, is that there's a 12 or 11 minute version of, we won't play all of it, 11 <laughs> minute version of Take Me to the Pilot. But it's got a wonderful uh, section in the middle with Caleb Quay giving it all. Shredding. So, so I thought perhaps you might want to hear, hear that bit. 
Yeah. Um, and is that off an acetate then? This is off a 12-inch acetate. Yeah, we were talking um, about Border Song because there's a bunch of versions out there, isn't there? there? Are. We've got a lot of different versions. Yeah. And you've been trying to piece together what's what I have, for me. It's quite complicated. Did you, do uh, you think you've come to the right answer? I think so. I mean, we won't, we won't, we don't want to play all of them, or you're all we'll be here. asleep. And but... mostly, you know, there are things like the piano demo. We know what that sounded like. Presumably, yeah. that was recorded fairly early on. Yeah, well, that would be the probably the well, that'd be the first clave of it really probably written around about the time that empty sky was it would recorded. be just after yeah, yeah. I'd say. yeah i would have thought yeah it's an interesting song a lot of people love it for its third verse and uh yeah, a lot is, of people don't no well, that's elton's verse yeah isn't it? yeah i suppose it's um it rounded off the song i guess in my episode where i put together theories yeah. about the meaning of different bernie lyrics I quite, this is one of the few sort of things that I put out there that probably is nonsense. But it, when you look at Bernie's writing in this era, there are a lot of songs about being in exile. Yeah. Like Bad Side of the Mood, Border Song. It's like, I'm removed from my people. Yes. And there are loads more as well. In fact, it, it, even through Empty Sky, all of the songs, the mythology songs, they, they still have... Across the Havens, it's no, you're there. Right. Yeah. It's just all the time. It's Skyline Pigeon. It's there as well. It's that, but though that one's a bit different. Um, but this is the theme that comes up over and over. The Cage. You couldn't be any yes. more explicit than yes. that. Yeah. Um, and I would have thought, and I wonder if there was a third verse. But if I were Elton receiving the lyric to Border Song, I would be quite hurt because he's living in your house. And you're saying, I'm poisoned by bad water. These people <laughs> yeah. around me, like, there's only one way to read that. I, yeah. uh, and, and I think it's great that Elton managed to find this universal ending for the song. Yes. But it, it, it was a bit of a reach. I think yeah, what he was. was given was possibly a bit, because Bernie was lost, that he, uh, after Empty Sky didn't do well. I don't think that they were very confident, were they? They no. lost a bit of confidence. No, especially have, Bernie. He must have knocked it out of you because you, you, they'd put their all into that album, yeah. didn't they? And yeah, was... they did. Yeah, so we, we were going to have a listen to some of the iterations oh, of Border yeah. Song over yeah. the, the year, how that changed. Yeah, we probably 
we don't need to do the uh, the piano demo no. because we 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 all know that. Um, so probably the the next oldest, if you like, yeah, chronologically, would be the rehearsals at Olympic, and this is with an organ. He has been here too Distant cousin from down the line Brown of people who ain't my kind Holy Moses I have been removed Holy Moses Now the wind has changed direction, so I'll have to leave. Won't you please excuse me? Maybe a bit more churchy, yeah. hasn't yeah. it? It's a bit more serious once that organ kicks yeah. in. I love those little Caleb ornaments on the acoustic yeah. guitar. He just it's got such taste, doesn't it? That's right. I'm going back to the border where my affairs, my affairs ain't abused. I can't take any more bad water, been poisoned from my head down to my shoes. Yeah, yeah, This has a real empty sky vibe to it, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, definitely. And now... Holy Moses, I have been removed. I have seen the spectre. He has been here too. Distant cousin from down the line Brown of people who ain't my kind Yeah, that's the proper, almost finished mix But it's not my cup of tea. Oh, Moses, I have been to see. No organ this time. No. But definitely from the same session. Yeah, yeah no, all of the little guitar ornaments are the same. So yeah. they were definitely trying some things out, which makes me. Well, you call them rehearsals, but you wouldn't be messing around with the mixes and making acetates with and without organ if if they really were rehearsals, would you? I don't know. I mean, that's 
Well, that's what it appears. I mean, I've, I've. I mean, they were definitely throwing ideas around. Yeah. I mean, I've sourced. I've got acetates that have got Olympic scribbled on them, and I've got tapes with Olympic scribbled on them. So, mm. I can't. I mean, again, it's not. They're not. It's not like the EMI where they've got a printed label and it's all. You know, they're just rough. So it's difficult to know whether or not they were, or whether somebody's added that later. And mm. but they were made. They they. From what I remember of listening to the, the the tapes that were from Olympic, these were the sort of sessions that were on there. There were like I remember there was like a whole reel of "Take Me to the Pilot" with loads of hundreds of false starts, you know, and you know, and then uh, and then you know. But of course, out yeah, of but the, that's what I mean. Why would you have all of those false starts if you were just rehearsing? You just battle on through it, wouldn't you? Be like, yeah, but that's how it works in the studio. You just you you start you'd start it and then you would stop it and you would start it and you stop I it. They just and they just keep laying them down. And then, of course, later you go back and mix down from those eight tracks to four. Yeah, sorry, to two for, yeah, for, the, yeah, for, the, for stereo the stereo or for the acetates, mono because they were mono acetates. Mm. So, so that's what they did back then. So, yeah, it'd be nice to get hold of the eight tracks because you get some beautiful quality off them. Yeah, and you can, you can mix, hear from when you and, hear the and, and you can mix them how you like. Because I mean, maybe the organs on you know track eight of the the one inch, yeah. you know, and they've just dropped it off. I you think know. I'd remove it personally. Yeah, yeah I think probably you might. Um, <laughs> so, um, I couldn't possibly <laughs> But they're, they're, um, they also played it at a BBC session as well, didn't they? It's, yeah, yeah. It's an got, electric yeah, version we, as well, we, isn't we it? We can do that. I think this is from Speakeasy in October 69. that's got a similar character yeah it, but it's moved it, on yeah it, it, it feels yeah. after doesn't it i think you can place olympic as sort of august september now having heard that yeah that's just got more strength to it sure i love it sounds like he's playing through a leslie speaker almost Does, doesn't, doesn't it? it yes it could be made of ale had leslie's did it mm. Mm, sounds beautiful probably the last live session was that bob harris a border mm. song, which we could play that one. That's quite a nice version.
70 yeah recording that session needs to be released that needs to be released this, this is the um, they just sound like they're on fire that day yeah absolutely that's probably enough we're all border song we are border song i'm not <laughs> i haven't listened to it. if you had another one i'd go for it i'm happy oh i got plenty <laughs> one thing that strikes me about that bob harris session yeah is just what a piano player he was yeah yeah he was so versatile, so fast, yeah. so funny at the piano. You know, he, there was humour in the way he played. Yeah. Um, it, but it but does, he was professional. I think that's it. They just feel they're really on it, aren't they? It's, it's you know, you, you couldn't fault it, really. The whole, I mean, when you, you know, when you think how fast they had to uh, get those tracks down, I mean, it's a tribute to the BBC engineers as well to capture that in mm. that shorter space of time. But for them to be able to just, you know, produce those four four tracks. I think it was, you know, that. How quickly. long were they had? Um, it's difficult to judge. I mean, I, I, you know, I think probably the booking sheet still exists back in the archives, but uh, you know, probably four or five hours, maybe. Mm. You know, um, it's quite a short, quite short they're not time. Sitting there having another crack at this or that, are they? They're, they're just. You know, they didn't have a lot of time. No, at all. Um, but that's because they were seasoned professional. Caleb, yeah, Elton. Yeah, and obviously Dean um, and Nigel, yeah. but all of these players were, you know, used by other producers and brought in. And Elton obviously yeah. was used by all sorts of different. Uh, well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he was doing loads of work for everyone else. I mean, not only was he doing session um, sessions for well-known people, he was doing all the cover versions. He was doing the, you know, the the, the Nick Drake cover versions on. Uh, mm the joe boyd album i mean he was trying to promote all those songs that nick drake had written that were selling like zero you know they're fantastic album they're like another elton john album aren't they and the start <laughs> the style's the same one thing you definitely don't want to do is to go onto youtube to look at any of the elton john covers of nick drake's songs 
because everyone, all the comments are just people saying, why, why would you do that? What, what, don't touch this music. This, I mean, I love yeah. Nick Drake. I so love I. Nick Drake. And I love Nick Drake's version. I love his music. I quite like what Elton did to him. Yeah, I love uh, him. Yeah. But it's just the vitriol and the yeah. fact that they don't really understand the context of the recordings, these no. people. No, I mean. It's like Elton came in and just decided to desecrate Nick's music. <laughs> well, no, it didn't really work like that. No. Well, yeah, I mean, Nick Drake has become, you know, an icon now, hasn't he? That's but, what happens. Which he wasn't back in the seventies, yeah, and you know he wasn't selling well, and so you know we're lucky to have those recordings. I think. Um, well, they they are just another example of Elton's voice being yeah. recorded oh, in its and, absolute and prime. Yeah, the the interesting thing I always think about Elton's covers of either pop songs for the uh, you know the top ten hits records mm. and and um, Nick Drake is that he goes for it as Elton John. He doesn't really, you know, he's not he's not being anyone else. He's not trying to make himself sound like anyone else. There's one or two examples Apple. on the top ten that he's done that, but most of them it's Elton plays Bridge Over Troubled Water. It's not yeah. it's not trying to sound like Simon and Garfunkel. So it's brilliant. You know, that's why that, when you've got one of those albums that's got, say, six of his songs out of ten sides yeah, or twelve, it's yeah. like, wow. It is. It is our Elton John album. Um, and the same with uh, you know, a lot of I mean, my favourite's question, I think, by mm. Moody Blues. That is a beautiful version. Now, the, the interesting thing about that tune is, is it didn't turn up on any of the um, Reg Dwight, Dwight's piano no. plays pop. Well, it didn't turn up on that or any of the albums that spawned from it. No, it didn't. You know all about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was approached um, by Alan McCormick at the time. because he Oh, was, did he, Alan? He was in touch with RPM Records and they were looking to, really, you know, they're quite a specialist in, in releasing, you know, obscure material by well-known artists. So they contacted me and said, you know, we've heard from Alan that you've got a lot of, you know, recordings. Um, and would you be interested in producing a an album for us? Um, so... And it wasn't an instant yes from you? No, I, I must have had two reservations. One was whether or not it would be, you know wouldn't be well, the artist Elton wouldn't like it I felt you know uh, owed some sort of debt purely because I loved his music yeah not, didn't really want to you're not in the business of upsetting no no um so I, I sort of delayed for that reason um and also trying to get really good copies of the music um so that they were, they were a, a good standard of quality for the album mm. um, they sound great thanks yeah I mean they, at the time there weren't many known copies of some of those records at the time now yeah. now they've sort of come out the woodwork a bit but but back then they, they weren't so well known um so i had to work with quite a few copies that weren't great but yeah they, they're not too bad but you've got some gear here that helps you out yeah yeah I do spend quite a bit of time <laughs> cleaning them up and uh so we did that and then um and of course since then about another six seven maybe eight tracks have come to light that weren't on that album and, and questions one of questions those. One how of did it elude you because it's on some of the more obscure albums most most of question the question appears mainly on a lot of uh, european albums mm. there are a couple of uk ones that it appears on but it wasn't so common as the deacon label which was fairly well known about the mfp label mm. you know these are on you know much more smaller volume albums Mar Bellamy is another one of these, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was the other one. Um, yeah, let's just, work. Let's work together uh, is another one. Yes, 
Um, what else was another one? Oh, well, Bridge Over Troubled Water, of course, was the biggest find uh, mm. af after that. You'd always imagined it existed, and then yes. we actually got yes. to hear it. I know, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, uh, to be honest, they're all great, um, they're great tracks. Was, I mean, what was funny was when the album came out, Radio 1, Danny Baker, spent the whole morning, a Saturday morning, um, running through every track on the album. Did he? Yeah, he was it's... so excited that... <laughs> It's right in his era, isn't it? Yeah, and, and quite rightly, he said, you know, these should have come out years ago. Elton shouldn't be um, embarrassed about them because no. they're just brilliant versions. And they are. His voice know. just sounds impeccable. Yeah, so that was quite funny. Let's have a listen to one of these. Shall, we, shall, we, shall we do a bit of a question? Yeah. Because I think the, the middle set... Because Question was a, a blend of two songs. Yes, you know, it's a much, Justin Hayward. Yeah, it's a real writing you know, merge the two together. Beatlesy. Yeah, and the, the 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 middle section, which is which I think the vocal on that is just fantastic. It's not the way. That you say when you do those things to me It's more the way that you mean it When you tell me what to be And when you stop and think about it You won't believe it's true That all the love you've been giving Has all been meant for I'm looking for someone to change my life I'm looking for a miracle in my life And if you could see what it's done to me To lose the love I knew To safely lead me through Between the silence of the great is his Brilliant. voice there it's, it's a great version it is and you could tell he loves the song yeah yeah or you it feels like he does yeah i mean in in, in the interviews with him he always says what a great laugh they had always they had really good fun unless you read the philip norman book well yeah well i suppose it depends who you believe really. yeah wait, wait, he makes it sound like elton was living at some sort of drudgerous <laughs> life where he was getting paid the money was amazing i've spoken to dan oh, gillespie about quite a lot wasn't 10 pounds for a session and tw for a song and yeah. 20 pounds for a vocal i yeah, think good, isn't it? yeah back then that was good money unbelievable money yeah so yeah i wouldn't have sniffed at that no not for but 1969 yeah, I mean, they, 1970. But definitely they had good fun with it from what the interviews say and and they produced some great stuff i mean you think again they were producing them so fast yeah you know and, and trying to recreate a track that probably they again been spent you know weeks and months in a studio producing and they had to do it in five minutes you know amazing yeah they were very professional about it weren't yeah, they yeah but they definitely are 
Elton plays this song. I mean, that is Elton. Yeah. That doesn't sound like the movie. No, it doesn't sound like Justin, does it? <laughs> Which is fantastic. It, the, he was brought in by, not just by, well, let's, should we hear one of Joe, Joe's productions? Yeah, well, in the Nick Drake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I always tend to play the uh, the slower ones because I, <laughs> I always end up drawn to them. But I do love Way Too Blue. I think that that is just a fantastic You've, have you got a, yeah, a yeah. copy of this? Yeah. When did you get yours? Um, oh, uh, crikey. Quite a long time ago. I can't, I can't remember. Decades ago. I think Joe didn't have one at one point. Is no, right? I know. I, well, so he says, yeah. I, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I mean, they must have pressed quite a few of them. That, 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 not that many have surfaced. Probably about 10 copies, I think. Is that all? I've only ever heard of 10 copies, but I, they, must, they must have done 100 or something. I can't believe they wouldn't bother. I mean, no, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't switch the pressing plant off quick enough to do, <laughs> to do less than 100. <laughs> so there must be, well, either they, a lot of them got thrown in the bin or I don't know. But I mean, they did it to distribute the songs. Mm, yeah, so, they must have actually sent some out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the trouble is, what, I, what I'm puzzled with is it actually in mono, which is a bit of a shame because it could have been a stereo album. Mm. things from 1970 we have um my favorite year <laughs> mine too and in fact you know what i've got this sort of love of the the trashy pop music of 1969 1970 that purely comes out of yeah. elton's covers it's like a yes. really special era for me it is, isn't it? you ask if you were to ask me about stuff that came out in 72 i'd be like Ugh. <laughs> don't care for that it's all about the trashy pop stuff that was out in 1969 1970 to me elton was in uh djm in the same period recording demos and there's some of them that aren't around no i mean quite a lot came out on the deluxe versions yeah um but there were a few that were missed off um bedside the moon for example 
And then, of course, there were lots of other songs that were recorded at the same time that uh, they're on bootlegs now. Yeah. Not, not in great quality, but they're out there, like Last to Arrive and all those. But, um, you know, Bedside the Moon is quite a nice demo if we want to have a listen Yeah, let's to have that, a listen actually. to him um, yeah. at the piano. You can imagine being Paul Buckmaster. I can't imagine being Paul Buckmaster, but being it must have been such a lovely blank canvas canvas yeah. for him yeah. to come and listen to something like that. He must have just had all sorts going on in his I head know. over the top. I remember um, the interview with Steve Brown and when he was saying that he, he got Paul Buck, Buckmaster in to do the Your Song. He had, Steve Brown had heard the Your Song demo and he was listening to that. And he, he got Paul Buckmaster in to listen to that, and he went, wow. And then he said, do you want to do the single? And then he played him the rest of the demos, and he said, no, I don't want to do the single. And he said, what? And he said, no, I want to do the whole album. Because <laughs> he was just... He, <laughs> All right, so that's what they said. That was yeah, in... That, you said that, that was Paul Buckmaster. 76 they had that interview, didn't they? Was that what That was said? an interview in 76 for BBC Radio 1, yeah. Yeah. And he was really keen. But Dudgeon wasn't. Gus Dudgeon wasn't, wasn't so keen. He had to be encouraged. He initially didn't want to do it. He was more into... Well, he was recording folk music, wasn't he? But he I was, guess this yeah. was all going to be a little bit serious for him. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, he obviously just didn't see it to start with um, until it, you know, until the sessions began. And then he, he really found... Gus, originally, when he met the pair, thought that Bernie was Elton, didn't he? Is that right? That's right, yes. <laughs> yeah, they got them mixed up. <laughs> I can see why you would. That would be quite funny. He's definitely the, the better yeah. looking of the two at the time. He, he, yeah. he, had, he yeah. had a look about him. I guess, yeah. There's not a lot for us to talk about now. We've kind of wrapped up most of the things that I think you were going to yeah, play I, for us. But yeah, there's some live bits that we were... There were some nice live bits from 72. Um, yeah, that, yeah tell nice. me about that. There's some. I mean, you know, talking about the BBC... You know, the, a lot of sessions. I mean, the BBC recorded quite a lot of artists and then because of either technical problems on the day or performance issues, they weren't released. So it was a nice uh, concert recorded at the Shaw Theatre in 72 in the summer. Yeah. Um, he played twice there, didn't he? He did, yes. Yeah. Um, this is, I'm not quite sure which one this is from. It was, first, I, it was I, a benefit I, for something. It, or other, it was, it? I and it, I can date it because it's actually a... There's a video now on YouTube somewhere of Nationwide ah. talking to them at the Shaw Theatre on the day. Mm. But I'm not sure it, it dates it, but it was certainly summer of 72. Um, and this is um, a very early version of uh, Have Mercy on the Criminal. Because they'd is... recorded it by then, hadn't they? Yeah, I don't know. 
can't remember yeah, when it was recorded. That's something I should know. It? Yeah, I should. Bye. Elton was low when he actually went in, when they went to the chateau to do "Don't Shoot Me." He was not in a good way. No. But he, uh, how are the band in this gig? That uh, are they sounding good? I think they're okay. I mean, I, they had a lot of technical problems. I can see why they why this wasn't transmitted in the end. Mm. Um, but it so there's a few breaks in song, not mid song. No, it's just distortion and crackling mics and uh, you know some buzzes and whatever. Mm. And some of the performances that they there's some tuning issues, shall we say, in the band. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fairly early still for Davey, isn't it? He'd been in there for yeah. six months, but yeah. he'd got his sound straight by now. Yeah, I mean he was he, he was playing live in February mm. with them, so yeah. I mean, but possibly this was a new experience for him to be recorded. Could be. Could be, although they did the... I did the Royal Festival. The Royal <laughs> that was Festival. his first gig, oh, basically, like yeah. Major, so... <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it's not bad. I mean, there are, I say, I think there's a few tuning issues with it, but... but it's but, got a decent, lively sound. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Because a lot of times soundboard shows sound can be wooden dry. and dry, yeah. don't they? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not the best, but it's... Uh, it's all we have. It's quite interesting to hear a song being uh, debuted before it was actually yeah. recorded. Yes, I think that's, or at least that, that's released. why it's fascinating. Let's have a listen. Okay. Dogs at night Somewhere On the hill Chasing some poor criminal And I guess They're out to kill Well there must be Shackled On his feet in his eyes Stumbling through the devil dog with the hound pack in full cry
seen a friend in years. Well, I turned your heart to stone. You jumped the wall, and the dogs run free. The grave's gonna be your home. voice still sounds amazing it's great yeah. yeah and even though he was not at his best at this time in his life he still sounds very strong doesn't Pretty he good, i think yeah and the band aren't bad and that song just has a freshness to it there yeah. doesn't it yeah. that where yeah, whereas once, once they've gone out and done it a, a yeah. hundred times it doesn't yeah. sound quite as exciting no. as it does there. of course you don't often hear that track really now it always, I mean, whenever he's performed it and then somebody's broadcast it, that's one of the tracks that always drops off the bottom. Is it? In favour of Benny and the Jets. Yes. Goodbye, Bit Road, or whatever in the following. You know what I mean? It, it, the trouble is, is that concerts always tend to edit out all the tracks that, you know, people who collect out and like um, in favour of all the, you know, the famous ones. So often you don't hear them. Same goes for the current release, which came out just as we're speaking three days ago yeah lots three missing. days ago yeah that's right a lot loads missing. missing yeah there's 32 tracks <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a two and a half hour concert yeah yeah so that's not going to fit on four sides of vinyl is it especially not, not the way they cut these these days not, not easily that was a, a incredibly uh, technological marvel that concert because it was the first time anybody had broadcast from russia live um, via satellite. Um, I know that sounds amazing because mm. it's 79, but it, nearly all live broadcasts are done through landlines. Were so, they? Yeah, yeah, up until that period um, in, in Europe. But to get landlines from uh, Russia was difficult. But we had already... Stuff had been done from America. That wasn't done by undersea. Yeah, right, yeah. Was it? That was yeah, done by but, satellite. But we weren't talking about high-quality stereo. No. High-quality stereo is a different thing. So in order to get... Uh, a high quality stereo feed from Russia live because it was transmitted live for two and a half hours um, they had to use a, a satellite and they, I, th I believe they used the video channels on the satellite because they needed to get the bandwidth to be able to, re to transmit stereo full frequency so it was quite quite a challenge and the problem with it was was that it was quite windy that day <laughs> yeah and the satellite dish got moved slightly so on the recording, <laughs> on the transmission, there was a lot of distortion and clicking and crackling. Oh. Um, on some tracks, it depended on where, which way the wind was blowing. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, there are a set of tapes that exist that were recorded in Moscow, which don't have that. And then the ones that were broadcast that everyone copied and bootlegged, um, they've got the crackling on. I've not listened to the vinyl yet, so I don't actually know which. Surely not. No, so, which, so which tapes they took it from. Have you received it? Have you, did you no. buy it? No. I, well, I bought it, but I haven't received it yet. Yeah, me too. So it'd be interesting to, to see which tapes they used. Um, I mean, I've got a set of, of reel-to-reels of the whole concert uh, that was transmitted, uh, but they have the... They've got the clicks. Yeah, but it's not bad. I mean, it's not terrible, and it varies between tracks. But I think there are 32 tracks. I think. Yeah, he played all sorts, didn't he? He did, and, he, it's, and something that threw back to right at the beginning when he did a uh, 
did demos for Ray Williams at Liberty Records. Yeah, the first desperate gasps of yeah. Reg outside of Bluesology. Yeah, recorded in Regent Sound Studios in Denmark Street. Um, tape has never, ever surfaced. There's a Never Say Never tape. Hopefully somewhere, some distant corner of the universe it exists somewhere. Yeah. Um, but he did a demo of a Jim Reeves song, which is very likely to have been He'll Have to Go, because that was such a big Jim Reeves hit, wasn't it? And it's the one that he always talks about. Yeah. So It seems that. unlikely that it would be anything yeah. else. Yeah. Oh, it's a fantastic console around yeah. Moscow, um, especially after the, the turmoil that he'd been through in the previous two years, with musically and personally, I think, with all the, what was going on. Um, you know, right? You know, splitting away from writing with Bernie and all that. Mm. Yeah, it's quite a change, wasn't it? Yeah, and all the disco stuff. As Out, you say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting time. It was an interesting <laughs> time for Elton. It yeah. was a time where he was desperately trying to find himself. It was like a teen, his teenage years, wasn't it? Just yeah. <laughs> but yeah. musically, definitely. Um, but yeah, so you know, um, he'll have to go. He's, I think, quite a, a a fitting track for us to play. Probably, we'll have to go. <laughs> Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you i'm sure my listeners i'm looking over there i don't think they're over there (laughs) i'm sure my listeners agree that it's been a pleasure to spend a couple of hours now in in your company um thank you for spending your time researching this music collecting this music securing it because i know that you are um you're not just gathering it. You are gathering it, yeah. but you are doing it. it. I wouldn't want anyone else to be doing it. Let's put it that way. Thanks, Neil. No, I really enjoyed today. Yeah. It's made me go out and find all sorts of tracks I haven't listened to for a long time. Yeah, well, that's what it's about. It is. And sharing it. Sharing This music is dead part. on its own. Yeah. It yeah. needs people around it to, who are enjoying it, eating biscuits, drinking tea, Having popcorn. You didn't have any popcorn. I, I had didn't. Popcorn. No, I didn't think I'd be able to speak very clearly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. He'll have to go. Yep. We'll have to go. Okay. Put your sweet lips a little closer to the fall Let's pretend that we're together all alone I'll tell the man to turn a jukebox way down low You can tell your friend there with you he'll have to go Whisper to me Tell me, do you love me true? Or is he holding you the way I do? Oh, love is blind. Make up your mind. I've got to know. And you can tell your friend there with you. Another man Tell me do you 
stand with your sweet lips a little closer to the phone let's pretend that we're together all alone until the man to turn on your You have.